Hi, Juliet here with a quick message before this episode starts. Everything you need to be more strategic amid the busyness of the school term is contained in the 170 plus episodes of this podcast. But sometimes you can get there a bit faster with some personalised help. I host a termly online workshop specifically designed to help the support staff within schools to make the shift from being reactive to strategic. Our next workshop is coming up soon and we're going to be reflecting on how things have gone this academic year and strategising for the academic year to come so that you can confidently prioritise your workload, overcome the obstacles that are holding you back and redirect your time and focus onto your priorities. At the end of the session, I promise you're going to be feeling more energised, ready to hit the ground running with a clear plan of action. This term's workshop is going to be run on Thursday the 16th of May, and you can find out more and book your place at www.consultjuliet.co.uk slash plan. I hope to see you there. Now, let's launch into this episode. Welcome to the Independent School Podcast. This is the place for senior school leaders to discover innovative ideas and actionable tips that are going to help to strengthen their school's income streams and secure its future. My name's Juliette Corbett and I'm a consultant, speaker and facilitator specialising in independent schools. So thanks for joining me today and let's get started on this week's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. So this time we're going to be talking about fundraising mindset and five shifts that you might need to make in your fundraising mindset in order to improve your results. So first of all, let's define what I mean by fundraising mindset. So your mindset is the set of established attitudes and beliefs that you hold. You've developed over time. They tend to be quite ingrained in you and they frame the way that you think about the world. And because they tend to be quite consistent over time because they're ingrained in us, sometimes analysing your own mindset and understanding where you might have things which are really beneficial and attitudes and beliefs would are really helping you in your work. But there might also be some elements of your mindset which are holding you back. And that's certainly true within fundraising as it is within many parts of our professional life. So today what I want to do is look at five limiting beliefs. Now these are beliefs that you might hold about fundraising which are not going to be helpful as you go ahead and forge ahead with fundraising for your school. We're going to look at each of these five limiting beliefs and I'm going to share with you my experience, both my personal experience as a fundraiser and also the experiences I've shared with my clients I'm going to give you ways to overcome each of these five limiting beliefs to shift your fundraising mindset. Now, obviously, this is the independent school podcast, so I'm going to be using examples from the independent school sector. But if you're listening to this from outside the sector, or if you also hold positions perhaps as trustees of other charities or you're involved in other fundraising beyond your school, Everything I'm talking about today is relevant to you as well. It's not specific to the school sector. Okay, so let's jump in and talk about that first limiting belief. And this is the belief that asking for money feels a little bit grubby, a little bit like begging and quite uncomfortable as a thing to do. Now, if that's something that you feel, that's a a belief that you hold, that is certainly going to be holding you back if you're trying to do fundraising. 
But there's a really key way to overcome this, and that is to reframe your thinking from, I am asking somebody, and it feels a little bit like I'm begging them to help me, reframe it into, I am offering an opportunity for others to do a transformational thing, to help me transform something that I really care about. And you're offering an opportunity for people to do great things with their philanthropic giving. So by reframing it into really believing that you're offering people an opportunity to do something transformational, you can overcome that limiting belief of feeling like you're begging or asking feels a little bit grubby and uncomfortable. Now, it's all very well and good me saying that that's what you need to do is to reframe it. It's quite a different thing to actually shift your beliefs in that way. So I'm going to come on to my second limiting belief, which is linked to this first one, which might help you to see how it's possible to reframe your thinking in that way. So the second limiting belief is this belief that people often have, they think I am not a natural fundraiser and therefore I'm going to step back and encourage others to fundraise, but I'm not going to be involved myself. Now I come across this quite frequently with heads, governors, bursars and so on, people who absolutely do need to be involved actively in fundraising alongside a head of development or a a director of development. And the, the temptation is for those people to hire somebody in to do the job and then step back and wait for great results. And we all know that's not possible, that actually the head of an organization or the CEO of a charity has to step in and be involved as the figurehead for fundraising. So if those people are feeling like I am not a natural fundraiser, then that can be a really limiting belief. And that belief can often be held alongside this feeling that asking for money feels grubby and uncomfortable. So I don't believe that anybody is born a natural fundraiser. Like all of our skill sets, being able to do fundraising well is a skill set that you develop over time through practice. It's about educating yourself to understand more about what's required and then practicing either through role play or by starting small and and building up to larger gifts. But the skills develop with practice. It's not something that any of us really come to naturally knowing from birth. So I believe that anyone, even if they feel they're not a natural fundraiser, can play a really positive role in a fundraising function. And the key to this, I think, is about finding your personal connection to the vision. So if you are able to talk to people with passion and enthusiasm and knowledge about the cause that you're fundraising for. So let's say for a bursaries campaign with an independent school, if you can talk to people with enthusiasm about that transformational opportunity for people to give, then that is fundraising. You don't need to know all of the ins and outs and technicalities of how to do major gifts fundraising. If you can just express your personal connection to the vision and then say to people, would you consider joining me in making this a reality? That is incredibly powerful. And that means that you are fundraising. You are able to take an active role in fundraising So by finding your personal connection to the vision of the transformation you're trying to have in your school's fundraising, that's how you can overcome that limiting belief of feeling like you're not a natural fundraiser. Now, sometimes we have to work hard to find that personal connection to the vision. I remember 
Back in the earlier days of my career, I was working for a school as a director of development and the school decided that it was going to be fundraising for a sports centre. Now, before up until that point, I'd been really passionate about fundraising for bursaries, but I just didn't feel a personal connection to the sports centre that I now found myself fundraising for. And for me, it was about actively going out there to try and find my personal connection to that cause. Now, I'm not sporty now. I wasn't sporty at school, but I also felt that maybe I'd been missing something. So when I went out there and talked to people and did some research around the positive impact that sport can have in schools in terms of building young people's confidence, their ability to work in a team, their resilience, and also the ability to then be physically active, which then helps with academic focus and being able to focus on your academic work. Once I realised there was a whole host of evidence out there about the positive impact that sport can have on young people, my personal connection then emerged from that by being able to say, I really passionately believe in this project because I didn't have this when I was young. And just imagine the transformation that we can have on people if they do have these opportunities to be positively engaged in sport from a young age. So sometimes you have to actively find your personal connection. Other times it can come to you quite quite instinctively, but you need to refine it perhaps. So I was working with one client recently where she instinctively had a very personal connection to the transformational bursaries that she was fundraising for for her school. So although it felt very instinctive, she wasn't quite sure how to articulate it to potential donors. So she and I spoke in advance of an important call that she had coming up with a potential donor and really explored what that personal connection felt like for her so that she was able to articulate that really clearly and with passion to that potential donor. And it worked really well, even though the entire cultivation was done over video call and telephone. um, She actually secured a really substantial donation for her school for transformational bursaries. So sometimes, even if your personal connection to the cause, you feel it instinctively, thinking about it within a little bit more of a structured way about how would you articulate that to potential donors can be really beneficial. So that's the second limiting belief about how to overcome the feeling that you may not be a natural fundraiser, being able to find your personal connection to the vision and then articulate that with enthusiasm. And combining that with overcoming the first limiting belief, you can see now how that can help you to to really feel that you're offering an opportunity for people to do transformational things with their philanthropic giving, because you're really personally believing in the cause as well. So let's move on to the third limiting belief I want to talk about today, and that is the belief that people won't give us money. We shouldn't bother asking because we don't know the right people. No one really has much money these days anyway. We won't even bother exploring this opportunity because we just don't think that anyone's going to potentially give to us. Now, this can stem from what's called a scarcity mindset. And this is the belief that there's not a lot of of money to go round. Everyone's really having to watch the pennies at the moment. That we in our school have to be extremely careful with our budget and our cost settings that we're just about making ends meet and perhaps that applies to you in your personal life as well. And so this gives you the sense that everybody must be feeling the same way. Nobody's going to in their right mind consider giving a gift, let alone a substantial transformational gift at the moment. So we just shouldn't bother asking. 
So I really want to challenge that limiting fundraising belief if you do hold it by creating a really compelling reason for people to give to your project. So it's about finding that personal connection to the vision, articulating it really clearly, developing a really robust and compelling case for support. That's what the phrase we use in fundraising terms, case for support, the reason someone should support your project. By developing that and by really focusing on the transformation that you are enabling to happen, whether that's through bursaries or any other project you're thinking of, you can inspire people to give to you. There are people out there who are giving to charitable causes at the moment. There are people out there who believe in the transformation that you want to make and who could make a substantial gift to you. It's not always easy and it can take time and investment, but it is possible to fundraise really substantial six and seven figure gifts for schools projects at the moment. So I want you to think big, inspire people and then get ready to make some really significant asks. We also know from the benchmarking data that schools focusing on major gifts asks can have the best return on investment. So sometimes this particular limiting belief can be really unhelpful if it then encourages you to think, oh, people aren't going to make big gifts. Let's ask for five pounds a month. And if you're interested in exploring a little bit more about why major gifts is a really great place to focus on in terms of the higher return on investment for schools fundraising, or about the case for support that you can develop for your school and making that really inspirational, I did episodes back in series one about both those topics. So I'll link to those from the episode notes this time. So that's the third limiting belief that people won't give us money anyway, we shouldn't bother asking. The fourth limiting belief I want to talk about today is that it's kind of the opposite to the one that we've just talked about. It's the belief that we are fantastic. Anyone will give us money if we just write them a letter. I come across this sometimes as well. And there are two elements to this. Firstly, there's an element of feeling that if you can see the transformation that this particular project can make for your school or for for your pupils or potential pupils, then people skip the the step by which they have to articulate that to others and sort of think, well, I believe in this. If I write a letter, that's enough to inspire others. Now, a really well-written letter is fantastic and it can inspire people to give, but it's not going to inspire the really big gifts. It will inspire a kind of a mid-level gift at best. And so actually what you want to be doing is talking to people face to face rather than relying on just writing letters to a large number of people. The other element behind this is sometimes writing a letter to lots of people in your school community about a project can feel a bit safer than doing a face to face ask, can feel a little bit more within people's comfort zone. And so I sometimes see people resort to a letter or email out to the school community almost because by default because they can't see a way of doing it in any other way but that in-person relationship that you can develop with somebody over time is a much better way to cultivate a relationship towards a really significant gift so I would say if by if you really believe that just by writing a letter you're going to have a really um, generous response I would just question whether or not you need to be thinking about doing things in a slightly different way. Big gifts come from cultivation over time. So the fifth limiting belief that I'd like to talk about today, 
I also see quite frequently, and that is that people feel like they believe they want to focus on one person at a time as they develop those relationships with major gifts prospects. People who feel like if I put all of my energy into this one potential donor and really get it right first time, that's how I can make the best use of my time, most efficient use of my time. Now, on the face of it, that is definitely better than not asking anybody to support you. It's potentially going to be having better results than writing a letter to everybody and just leaving it at that. But it's actually quite a high risk strategy when you think about it, putting all of your eggs in one basket and developing a relationship with just one prospect. It's actually quite a high risk approach to fundraising. People who are doing fundraising in a more structured way, what we try to do is to develop relationships with lots of people at the same time. And what this does is to mean that firstly, you're able to practice your your cultivation approach and the way you're asking, build up your confidence, get feedback on the way that you're asking and your case for support for your fundraising project. And That means that you can then build up to the bigger gifts over time. So that means you're talking to multiple people in order to practice and get feedback on your approach. Talking to multiple people also reduces the risk in the sense that if any one particular prospect says no, that's not the end of the world because you know you're speaking to other people as well. And what that can do is actually help to reduce the nerves before each conversation as well. If If you know that you've put a huge amount of effort into one person and cultivating that one person, it's not surprising if you get incredibly nervous before the ask because you've put all your eggs in one basket with this high risk approach of approaching one person at a time. And so it can feel like a really big thing. And if that person says no, it feels like a really massive setback. The other thing it can do is to help avoid procrastination because if you're focusing on one person and you're feeling a bit nervous about it, it's not surprising if you put off making the ask. You push it a little bit further down the road. Either you stop making contact and you let the relationship kind of fizzle out a little bit because you're nervous about that inevitable next step of making the ask. Or you go into kind of meeting after meeting and have lovely conversations, but don't move those forwards in terms of bringing the conversation naturally to a point where you're talking about a potential donation. So one of the things that I found, and I I have to admit, I've fallen into this trap in the past as well, especially in the very early days of my major gifts fundraising career. I did used to kind of really focus and procrastinate about a small handful of people that I was cultivating. And then it was nerve wracking in the extreme when I would actually be getting to the point of moving those conversations towards really specific conversations about how they could help us. What I learned as I went through my career was if you've got multiple relationships going at the same time, then okay, some will always feel like they're more important than others because of the the potential size of the gift that you could, could get from that individual. But it feels like you're actually constantly practicing, honing your the way you articulate your case for support, reducing the nerves because you're you're used to being on the phone with these people. You're used to going to meet them face to face because you're kind of doing it each week, day in, day out. You're doing a little bit of this work all the time. Just means that when the time comes and you are talking to somebody about a really substantial gift, 
it means that you feel much more in your element, much less nervous about the whole process. And it feels like a much more natural conversation to be having. So that limiting belief of I'm going to focus on one person at the time, and that's the most effective way of doing things. I really encourage you to try and overcome that one by talking to lots of people and cultivating those relationships in parallel, so simultaneously. So none of you will be feeling all of those five limiting beliefs simultaneously. But if any of those ring a bell with you, really feel like they resonate with the way that you're thinking about fundraising, your fundraising mindset, then for each of those, I've given you a few tips on how you can develop your thinking to shift that mindset and shift that limiting belief in order to get better fundraising results and feel happier and more confident when you're doing your fundraising. So I run programs with people, both group programs and one-to-one, helping them to improve their fundraising best practice and to shift their fundraising mindset. And frequently what I do is I do fortnightly coaching calls with people as they're developing relationships with major donors. So they feel they have confidential support as they're developing their expertise in this area and really shifting some of these fundraising mindsets into a more positive belief. If that's something that would be of interest or of use to you, do get in touch. All my details are in the episode notes for this week's episode. So you can find those by going to www.consultjuliet.co.uk slash 025. This is episode 25, so it's slash 025 at the end. Fantastic. I look forward to talking to you again soon and have a fantastic week. Bye bye, everybody. So that's it for today. And thanks for listening to the Independent School Podcast. If you want to make sure that you don't miss out on future episodes, you can sign up for my newsletter at www.consultjuliet.co.uk slash sign up. There you can also explore the various ways that I help independent schools to strengthen their income streams and secure their future. Fantastic. See you next time then.